So our New Testament text and sermon text will be 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. A living stone in a holy place. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in all scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May the Lord add his blessings to this reading. That we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Father, it is only by your spirit can we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to love. For our hearts rebel against you. The natural man does not understand the things of the spirit. And we pray that you would open up our ears to hear you today. Father, as we come to you, we bring our burdens to you. For as Peter has said, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Father, we cast our fears and anxiety and worry about the coronavirus on you. We trust that you are sovereign and you are working as you work through the WHO, the CDC, we pray especially for Vice President Pence as he oversees the uh, efforts in the United States. We pray that you would give him wisdom, that you would give him a rich and deep and wise set of advisors who would um, give him uh, good, wise counsel. We pray for uh, the governors of all the states, for the senators, for the local representatives, for uh, the mayor, Mayor Latham here in Jack's Beach, who uh, are attentive to these needs, I pray that you would give them wisdom. For every doctor and nurse and uh, first responders who are coming in contact with this, I pray that you would protect them. Father, it is because of your grace that we have medicine and we have sciences and we have learning. Men and women who have devoted them, their lives to serve their fellow man, and I pray that you would give these doctors and, 
and nurses' wisdom. We pray for the um, drug companies that are working on vaccines and remedies and that you would work through the sciences and through their intellect to create uh, vaccines, Lord. And we know that it would be a miracle to produce a vaccine so quickly, and we pray that you would grant wisdom and, uh, Lord, discovery, for it is by your grace that we live and breathe and move. Father, we also pray for our loved ones who are not here this morning. Whether that's because their hearts are hard to the gospel, or it's because their eyes are distracted by the delights of this world, or that their spiritual sensibilities have been dulled by the worries of this world, by complacency and lethargy, Father, we pray that you would convict their hearts. May we be faithful to call them to trust in Christ, to repent of their sin and to follow Jesus the first time and every day. Lord, may we be a community that is defined by the gospel, that overflows with grace and mercy and forgiveness and that you are building one man, one people, one family from all the different socioeconomic, ethnic, political uh, groups in this world. You are bringing them together as one church, the people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Father, may we be faithful. We thank you for the privilege that we have this morning to uh, worship you, to hear your words sung and recited and read and proclaimed. And I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts through the teaching and proclamation of, a world, of the word that we may see Christ clear. Our emotions may be overwhelmed and may we go forth from here proclaiming the good news of great joy which is for all people. For unto us was born that day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, a Savior that we have come to and tasted and declare our God is good. Taste and see. Father, we thank you for this opportunity and privilege. Guide us and move in our hearts. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and put it on the first slide that says, who are you, please? Excellent. Thank you very much. Brady, thank you. Great, great job. First half, you got set, we got intermission. You'll be back later. All of us have a basic question to answer, and this question is on the wall behind us. Who are you? What is your foundational identity? Now, for a, a wide variety and for every one of you here, your identity can be in something else. Some of you, you find your identity in your job. Your teachers or nurses or salesmen or women, homeschool moms, lawyers, students, real estate agents. Some of you, it's your economical, economic status. You're rich, you're poor, you're middle class. Some of you, it's your political status. You proudly wear your MAGA hat. You're a proud Bernie bro. You're a Democrat. You're a Republican. You're a Libertarian. Or you're fixing to move to Canada. 
It might be your, your marital status. It may be that you are a husband or you're a wife. You're single. You're divorced or you're widowed or you're just simply miserable. Maybe that your parental status, that you are a mom or dad. You're unable to have children. Or you've lost your children. It may be that you're, it's your gender. You're a man or you're a woman or as our society is trying to convince us now that you're non-binary. It could be your hobbies. I am a fisherman. I am a quilter, a woodworker, a reader. A, a, I love to watch football or I love to drink craft beer. Could be your talents, that you're a musician, a writer, a surfer, a football player, or you're an artist. It could be your ethnic identity. You're white or you're black, you're Asian, you're Latino. It could be your attraction, you're straight or you're LGBTQ. It could be your education that defines you. You're an MD or a PhD. You're an MBA or an MDiv. You're a, a BA or a BSN. You're a GED or you're simply a dropout. So the question I want to ask you today is who are you? What is your fundamental identity? What defines you? And if you, as you think about this and how you answer this, will set the course of the trajectory of the rest of your life and it determines how you will live and who you will live for. For every one of you who answer this question of who is your identity, who are you, it is, there's good identities and there's bad identities. There's sinful identities and there's righteous identities. There are biblical identities and there are unbiblical identities. And some of you use unbiblical identities on biblical foundations to be able to define who you are, unknowingly undercutting the identity of the gospel. I want you to see today the, my big idea, if you will, um, if it will, if you would bring that up, my big idea up there, Steve, for me. I know you're all waiting with bated breath. Uh, the foundational identity of a Christian is that you belong to Jesus. The, fi un, the fun, uh, fundamental identity of a Christian is that you belong to Jesus. It's not your ethnicity, though that's really important. As we saw in Sunday school this morning, it's not your family status. It's not your marital status. It's not your political affiliation. It's not the talents and not what attracts you. If you're a Christian, your fundamental identity, your foundational identity, your primary identity, and your deepest instinct is that you belong to Jesus, and it is through that identity that you view the rest of the world. It is, as a Christian, you are first and foremost a Christian. If you belong to Jesus, it changes how you live, and how you work, and how you wait. Every secondary identity that you have comes in alignment with the fact that you belong to Jesus, or those secondary identities are disavowed because you belong to Jesus. Now the question is, begins, how can I claim such a thing? Steve, is it plugged into the side of my computer? It, was it is now. There we go. Okay, excellent. 
How do I say that? Uh, how, why do I say that? Turn, if you're not already there, to 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It's on 10.15 of your pew Bibles. If you're following along in your own Bible, you can go to the front, the table of contents in the front. Find 1 Peter. It's probably three quarters of the way through the New Testament. Find that page number, flip to it, and then we're going to settle in chapter 2. But I want you to see the identity of a Christian is 2 Peter, or 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So if our main identity is the fact that we belong to Jesus, how does that change the way we live? Well, that changes for the fact that we realize that we were made for worship. It changes because we realize we were designed for community and then ultimately that we live to magnify Christ. We're made for worship, we're designed for community, and we live to magnify Christ who brought us out of darkness into light. So as jumping in here as we go, yeah, I'm not getting anything, Steve, I'm sorry. Let's just hit blank and then leave it off. Um, so, and we'll go. We'll do it old, old. We'll go old school. We'll figure it out this week. Okay. We, uh, as we go through in context of First Peter one one, notice how he begins First Peter one one. Paul, or Peter, is writing to a group of believers. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are. Notice what it says. Elect exiles. And you notice these two identities really don't fit together. You could say these are the chosen rejected, um, that they have been chosen by God, elected by God, but as exiles, they don't belong in this world. Like an exile from their own land, they can no longer be in that land, and they have to live in a foreign kingdom, a foreign country. They are chosen by God, but rejected by the world, and they're in this strange identity where they come from. And Jesus, or Peter is saying that their primary identity is Jesus. Their citizenship is no longer according to the allegiances of this world. Political allegiance, kingdom allegiance, socioeconomic allegiances, ethnic allegiances. Their relationship to Jesus is now primary. And Jesus is the one who infuses hope. Jesus is now the one, because of Jesus, they're called to holiness. Because of Jesus, it instills in them a godly fear. Because of Jesus, they have a new model and mantra and picture of love that they have. But I want you to notice as we come up to our verse in, in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10, why has God chosen a people for himself? Why does God care to have a group of people elect exiles in his life? That to bring them and redeem them. Notice verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, God is doing something, are being built up to a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Peter uses two imageries that we start to see as he writes his words in this epistle in chapter 2. You see two houses. 
You have the first house, which is a, the house that God is building for His worship. And the materials for this house are very interesting. They're not grade A construction lumber of the world. They're living stones. They're people that God is using to build up this spiritual kingdom. But notice these materials, they're rejected stones. Those exiles who don't belong to the world and who the world does not want, they belong to God and he's using them to build up this spiritual house. Men and women who are chosen by God, but they're rejected by the world. People that we see in verse 3 have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That they have drunk deep of the waters, the wells of living water. They have tasted the satisfaction of the bread of life and they're satisfied and they say, God is good. Not only do we have that they have tasted and they desire God, but in verse 4, they have left the world those former identities and barrier groups and, and, and have come to Jesus. Not only are, is God using and building this uh, spiritual house of worship, this household of faith where worship will happen, He's not only using rejected stones, but notice what the cornerstone is. When you build a building in the ancient world, I don't know if it's so much today, but in the ancient world, the most important stone was the cornerstone. The cornerstone had to be true, and you would put it down, and it's, the cornerstone is what not only sets the horizontal direction, but it also is what sets the, the vertical uh, direction. The, uh, the cornerstone is what sets the, the foundation of the building. And notice the cornerstone that is used in this house of worship of God, that God is working it's a rejected cornerstone. That rejected cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. So as we see this, this imagery that Peter is giving us, he's saying this cornerstone that sets the horizontal relationships and sets the vertical relationships is Jesus Christ. He's the one who influences all of this house of worship. And you notice that this house of worship is acceptable worship to God, not because we have it all together, not because we get it, not because we do the right thing. It's because we are in line with Jesus. Jesus is what set the standard. And if we can say we belong to Jesus and we're in line in Christ with Jesus, we know that we can come before the Father and offer acceptable, pleasing, fragrant aromas to our Father. Our new cornerstones has been rejected by the world and we have been rejected by world but now are coming together in this beautiful family this household this house of worship edmund Clowney, if you could bring that quote up for me edmund Clowney says this the reality of union with christ is seen in the life of each living stone remember you are stones. Some of you ladies call your husbands blockheads, but the reality, we're all blockheads. We're all living stones. 
Thank you for your courtesy laughs on that. Um, we're, but we're all living stones, a part of this house. Our mutual union with Christ removes the tension between the claims of the individual and the society. We're in together, and it says, in Christ, we find the meaning of our personal lives. In Christ, we find the joy of belonging to one another. We rejoice in the honor and the ministry of being built together. I did not plan this sermon and Sunday school to be on the same day. But doesn't it go together beautifully? That our identity is that we belong to Jesus. And that we, are, we, we have been brought into right relationship because of the cross. And we can live in this new identity, this new family of Jesus where we belong. And we have our place and our function. And we're no longer uh, identified by our former identities, but we also don't lose our former identities. Those identities are now transformed and, and intensified because of Jesus. There are some identities that we must put to death because they are sinful identities. And there are some identities that we have perverted that we need to change in light of Jesus. But now, because we belong to Jesus, it changes everything. And that is a beautiful, glorious thing. Ocean Park, if we belong to the house of God, every aspect of our lives has been fused with meaning and purpose. How you raise your children, how you love your grandchildren, how you work, how you rest, how you use your retirement, how you think, how you read, how you, all, all that you do, the things that you find pleasure in and joy at, all of those things have meaning and purpose and they're designed for the glory of Jesus Christ, the one who has saved us. That is this first building that God is building. But Peter also shifts our attention to a second house, or you can say a bunch of little houses or sandcastles that are built on the shore, designed for our glory and our honor and our praise. This world is full of spiritual houses of worship, Worship of self, worship of desire, worship of reason, of pride, of folly, of pleasure. Houses that reject Jesus as the cornerstone. I don't need Jesus because I have this. Jesus does not satisfy me. I don't belong to Jesus or with Jesus. I belong to this group, this identity, this um, barrier group as we use the language of Sunday school. These spiritual sandcastles or temples of this world are being built to the gods of this age. The gods of reason and science and self and image and pleasure and tolerance and power and pride. Places of worship and adoration and sacrifice that all go to satisfy a desire in our hearts. Often these places of worship are the beach just a few blocks from our church. They're TIAA Kreft Bank Field, home of the Jaguars. They're dive bars and imaginary online worlds where we are God and the people that we use and exploit for our pleasure treat us that way. 
Some of these houses of worship are country clubs or the Cummer Museum or the marina or the pier, the Magic Kingdom, your back porch, or your lazy boy where you don't do anything because you are God of that kingdom. Where we seek pleasure is our spiritual house of worship. Where we find our identities apart from Christ is where we find our pleasure. We do what we love. We pursue what we love. We pursue what we worship. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. And the, proverb, the, the writer of Proverbs said, Listen to my wisdom. Seek wisdom. Don't seek the pleasures and the desires of your heart that lead you away from the source of all that is beautiful and the source that all is good and the source that all is true. Because in the end, the, the kisses of an adulteress be, uh, at first are sweet, but they lead to death. The continuing on the next verse here from Philippians 3.18, these kingdoms of this world... Um, are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their glory is their shame. Their minds that are set on earthly things. These sandcastle kingdoms of this world have an end because they do not follow Christ and they stumble over Christ. Notice 1 Peter 2, verse 8. Words that are heavy. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. There are two types of houses. There is the one house that God is building. Through Christ, he is the cornerstone that is a rejected cornerstone with living rejected stones, chosen exiles, elect exiles. But there are the other houses of worship that for a while they satisfy or seem to satisfy like salt water to the soul, but the tide is rising and they will fall. They live for themselves and they disobey God's word. Instead, they obey their pleasures, their own glories, their own desires, and they stumble over the claims of Jesus, the Lord of life. There are only two types of houses, Ocean Park. There is the household of Jesus Christ that brings in every tribe and every tongue and a nation. It is a beautiful tapestry of glory to the Father. And they're the households of self that are serving themselves. There are those that align with Christ. And there are sandcastle houses of worship that reject Christ. There are only one household that is worshiping God uh, acceptably through Christ. The others are offended by Christ and stumble. And eventually the wrath of God as it rises, like the tide rises and wipes out the sandcastles of this world will wipe them away. There is only one house that survives because it is built on the rock of Christ. Brothers and sisters, remember the foundational identity of a Christian is that they belong to Jesus. We were made for worship, but we were also not only made for worship, but we were designed for community. 
designed for community. Notice verse 2 of uh, 1 Peter 9. But you. This conjunction you have in verse 8, this tragic heavy verse, and now in verse 9, this tide has turned. But you. Against this dark backdrop, the great glory and, of, and hope of the gospel is infused that this breathtaking beauty of God's grace is being demonstrated. You are not like those who have no hope. You have identity. You have purpose. You have community. You have value. And how did we get this identity? How did we get this value? How did we become a part of this community? Was our, our ability to make a decision? No. Was it our inherent goodness? Our potential? No. No. Is there anything in us that we can contribute to the kingdom or our future potential? No and no and no. Your salvation is the work of God from beginning to end, top to bottom. Grace is amazing because I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. And I didn't even want it. But while I was yet a sinner... While I was still blind, while I was still lost, while I was still making uh, mud pies in the slums, while I was still making my kingdom sandcastle kingdoms as the tide was rising, Christ so loved me that He died for me, to redeem me from my hopelessness, to redeem me from my false identity, to bring me to and bring me into his family. And, and I'll tell you this, as a Christian, we talk about getting saved. Have you, have you been saved? And that's, that's true. But being saved is not just removing the wrath and not removing the punishment and not removing the guilt, but we are being adopted into the family of God. We have, have a new identity. And I use this example often when that day in um, May, was it? Where's Denise? Where'd she go? Oh, um, she's the walk of shame with Crosby, huh? Um, but that day when we went to the courtroom with Crosby, Crosby entered that courtroom as a 13-month kid with the flu that day, or the cold that day. He entered the, the courtroom as Patrick James Gould from a broken family. And when the judge signed her name, Judge Schoonover signed her name on the adoption papers, instantaneously his identity changed. I couldn't hear what you said. Oh, Siri. She never works when I ask her to do something, but now when I'm in the middle of a sermon. That's, see, that's Satan right there, no. That moment when Judge Schoonover wrote her name on that adoption papers, Crosby identity changed. It went from Patrick James Gould to Patrick, or, uh, what is his name? Crosby James Partika. He had a father and a mother. He had a family. He had a church that loved him. He had everything changed. His future changed. And he then slowly, over the years, he becomes that family resemblance starts to happen and starts to show. And he begins to talk like us and, and act like us and hold our values and love us. Why? Because his identity changed when we shed his, our love on him. While he was completely clueless, we loved him. 
And I want you to notice it wasn't just you're free to leave, but now you have been brought into the family of God. And these four identities, we're no longer strangers, but we're chosen race. We're no longer cast from God's presence, but we're a royal priesthood serving him. We're no longer a lawless band of traitors hiding from the, the rival conquering king, but we're a holy nation. We're no longer broken pieces with little value, but we are treasured possessions of God. Why? Not because of us. Grace is amazing because it has everything to do with the heart of our covenant-keeping, loving, steadfast, loving God. And the only thing we brought is our sin. Notice these four identities as we go through. Our four identities first is you're a chosen race. Verse 9, you are the, uh, in the Old Testament, the chosen people of God were those who were ethnic, uh, um, ethnic descendants of Abraham. But as we see in Galatians that the true descendants of Abraham are not the ethnic des- descendants of Abraham, but those who share Abraham's faith in the promises of God. Those who have experienced a new birth, who have been born again. As Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom unless you are born again. And that being born again is initiated by the grace of God. God has chosen to initiate a relationship with a people, creating a new people. And how do we know this evidence of being born again? We see in verse 3 and 4, those who have come to Jesus. Verse 6 and 7, those who believe in Jesus and put their faith in Jesus. Israel was a chosen people that God used to reveal Himself to the nations. That was always the goal to bring salvation to the nations. Christians are a chosen race not based on their ethnicity, whether they're black, white, Asian, or Latino, Uh, They're not chosen based on their talents, their merit, their abilities, their anything. It's chosen by God because of the goodness and grace and mercy of our God. Now we have a spiritual family with a heavenly father, brothers and sisters who are brought in to this family. Not only we're a chosen race, but we're a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, as some of you are reading through the Old Testament now, you're getting into the throes of the law and you can see where the priests and the Levites, these were special people that were set aside unto service to God. They were the ones that cared for the temple. They were the ones that offered sacrifices. They are the ones that moved the tabernacle from place to place they were a special group of people that were devoted to God and notice the language he uses for now people have been born again they are a royal priesthood they have been set apart for God for service to God and we offer worship not by animal sacrifices and and wave offerings we offer sacrifices of our lives that are devoted and live to the glory of God as Romans 12 offer your bodies as living sacrifices he's not telling us to literally lay down our life but he's telling metaphorically we are devoting our lives to the worship and service of the God who has saved us by sending Christ who so loved the world we are now active participants in the worship of God and the worship is not just how you sing on Sundays but it's every moment of every day with every breath that you live it's how you work it's how you play it's how you rest It's how you um, speak 
the words you use, the things that you speak about, the things that you don't speak about. It's how you eat. It's how you live. It's how you do all things and you play. It's how you use your money and how you care for your body and how you reach out and serve your, your brothers and your sisters and your fellow man. It's your now, as Peter says, your relationship to the government. It's your relationship to the earthly authorities. It's a relationship how you love your spouse differently when they are good to you and when they're not good to you. Because you are not serving your spouse, you're serving your God who saved you. It's how you deal with society in general. How we live is a reflection of whom we worship. What do you love? Who are you? A Christian's primary identity is Christ. We are a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are a people that are defined by holiness. Not a stodgy, churchy, religious, uh, I'm holier than thou. That's not holiness. That's self-righteousness. And that is the very thing that brought in the most venomous attacks of Jesus when he was on the earth. A holy nation is a people that are separated unto the service of God, that reflects the heart of God, His love, His holiness, His compassion, His righteousness. We desire the things of God, and we, God is the one who has us, and He teaches us, and He encourages us, and He disciplines us, so we be like Jesus. Just like my children, I discipline my children to teach them what it meant to be a partika, just as my daddy disciplined me that explains this is what it means to be a part of our family. Our family does these things and we don't do these things. And that family resemblance begins to grow, even in people that are adopted. Not only are we a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but we are a people for God's own possessions. God's people are precious to him. They're valuable. They're, they're treasured. The people have a special relationship with God. No longer are we broken. We belong to Jesus. He loves us. He invests us. He cares for us. I use the example of, um, of children. I love children. And so I see a kid at the store, and it just brings joy to me. And then, so that's one level, but then there are the children of Ocean Park who are special and dear to me and who I pour my life into. And then there are the three knuckleheads that live in my house. They have a special, unique, intimate relationship that I literally pour all my money into and more. I, and I pour myself and I pray for them. Though I pray for the children of Ocean Park, I plead for my own children. And you see, they're precious to me. They're, they get my attention, my focus, and my resources. They get myself. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You are made for community with a heavenly father, remembering that our foundational identity of, as a Christian is that you belong to Jesus. We were made for worship, we were designed for community, and we live to magnify Christ. Notice verse 9 in closing. God called you out of sin for a purpose. 
He didn't just set you aside and say, oh, that's the saved, that's the frozen chosen, those are my guys. Uh, but we have been created as we exist as a church to worship and glorify God. How do we do that? By proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we do? We are fulfilling the, the, the purpose of verse 9. We proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. The reason you are all these things, chosen and holy and separate and precious by God, is to make much and magnify who God is and what he has done. The reason you're here today should be to worship and magnify who God is and what he has done. That is your joy on, on a day when for some silly reason we move the clocks forward and the kids' schedule is all messed up. We drag our carcasses to church. Why? Because God is good and he has saved us from our sins and conquered our greatest enemy. And it's our joy, even though it's difficult on days like this, to be able to magnify the one who called us out of darkness to light. And we see in verse 10, the one like Hosea's children who were not the people of God, who are now the people of God. We're no longer separated and far off from God. We are in fellowship with God. Why? Because of Jesus. And the reason we sing as Christians. Why do Christians sing? Why don't the other religions, uh, when the assemblies, they don't sing? Why do we sing? I sing because I'm happy. We sing because we've been saved. We sing because in the midst of our sorrows, we have hope and we can lament because we have a loving, sovereign God who keeps his promises. Therefore, we sing to remind us of who God is and what he has done, that he has saved us out of marvelous light. And we desire and are designed to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out. Brady, if you could bring up that John Piper quote towards the end. It said, um, Piper says this, he said, God has given us our identity, who you are, in Christ. And then those secondary identities that are now brought into alignment. You're a mom, you're a dad, you work, you're retired, you're a fisherman, you're a, a salesman. All those things have been brought into alignment. Why? To proclaim through us the God who made us as... Uh, who we are so we could make known who he is. If you could go to the next slide for me. Our identity is for the sake of making known whose identity? Jesus's identity. The meaning of our identity is that the excellencies of God can be seen in us, that we devote ourselves to Christ. Ocean Park, let me ask you this in close. Are you making much of God or are you making much of yourselves? Are you being built and formed into the household of God through Christ offering acceptable sacrifices? Are you worshiping and building in sandcastles of made of self that will die? Are you magnifying the God who took you from darkness to light? Are you magnifying the one who took you from being an enemy to made you a child? Are you looking upon uh, your sinful estate and made you, are, are you, have you seen your sinful estate without Christ and who now made you holy? Are you making much of God in Christ in his holy temple? Or are you deceiving yourself and building sandcastles, temples of worship that are cloaked in morality and religion and charity? In closing, if you bring up the, the question one, the Heidelberg Catechism, the question is this, what is your only comfort in life and death? How do you answer that? 
I have a really nice nest egg, or I have a good job, or I'm actually pretty smart, or my grandma was such and such? Or do you answer like the Heidelberg Catechism, I am not my own, but I belong in body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That he has fully paid for all my sin with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair of my head can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Is there any more? Yeah, I knew there was more. Because I belong to Jesus, by His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willingly and ready from now on to live for him amen Amen. the creeds and catechisms are a deep well of, of insight that points us to god so ocean park i ask you this morning as we come to the table who are you and i pray that you say i don't know jesus but i want to know jesus and i want to be known by jesus And for those of you who do know Jesus, every day I belong to Jesus.